0: discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we are discussing episode 35 of the Tang Dynasty drama, The Longest Day in Chang'an. If you have any comments or questions, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram or else email us at karen and kathy@chasingdramas.com. As always, This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain phrases spoken in Mandarin. For today's episode, we will reference translations from what is provided online and we will also provide our own. We will start with an episode recap, talk about some book differences, and then move on to history. The Lantern Festival celebrations are in full swing. And finally, perfect timing because we also just celebrated the Lantern Festival for the Year of the Dragon. And that concludes the Lunar New Year or Spring Festival celebrations. Our emperor has arrived in the Grand Auditorium, or what is more accurately known as the Flower Steeple Tower or Hua Hua'ilou and throngs of crowds are in the main plaza releasing lanterns into the sky. It is a beautiful sight. The crowd pays their respect to the emperor, as well as the massive lantern tower, which we learn is in the shape of the historical figure Lao Zi. The father-daughter pair we see in the crowd is none other than the barber and the daughter we saw all the way back in episode one. Li Bi has been captured by Longbo at the Laozi Lantern Tower, who reveals to us at long last what his final plan is. Longbo wants to kill the emperor. The right chancellor Nah, not big enough of a target. But what about the crowds? All of those innocent people. This is where Longbo is like, who told them to come tonight? It's their fault. Longbo has no qualms with murdering innocent civilians if he can make a statement by killing the emperor. Inside Hua Elo, Tanqi has requested help from her friend, the famed Yang Yuhuan, but in this drama called Yan Yuhuan for help. Except this Yan Yuhuan, who is also a Taoist nun right now, has stipulations. She gets asked constantly for favors with the emperor and can't agree to all of them, so she has set strict rules. She doesn't help anyone lower than a fifth rank. She will not help those who committed one of the ten great crimes. She will not help someone who works for the crown prince, and she does not help a killer. Well, unfortunately, Zhang Xiaoting basically falls into most of these categories, or all of these categories... Four people, she doesn't help. Penxi is a little distraught and in her haste, begs Yan Yuhuan for help to save Zhang Xiaojing because he is her lover. That statement captures Yan Yuhuan's attention. I personally really like this scene because it adds a lot more cunning to Yan Yuhuan. She's not an idiot. She knows how to be careful in her position. None of this is stated in the book, so the director of the drama and screenwriters added all of this in. Yan Yuhuan, in this drama, even though she's quite young, is fully aware of the power she holds and how to stay out of trouble. She is not going to irk the emperor by asking for forgiveness for someone that she doesn't even know and can't verify the story of whatever sob story that somebody comes to her with. Therefore, these rules she set in place are quite smart— Not only that, she is focused on learning who the winner of the parade competition is outside. They find out that it is Xu Hezi, the famous singer. This raises her warning signals because it is evident that Xu Hezi hopes to enter the palace to capture the emperor's attention. Who would that harm? Yan Yuhuan. None of this is stated in the book. In the book... Yang Yuhuan is actually more just like, oh, my God, I am so intrigued by the fact that Tanxi has a lover and is here to help her. I definitely want to help Tanxi, and I will most certainly go ask the emperor. There are a lot more steps in the drama, which I actually appreciate. Tanxi listens to this and smiles on the sideline. She suggests that Yang Yuhuan does something about Xu Hezi, to which Yang Yuhuan immediately agrees. She skillfully says that if Xu a were to have some type of accident or issue when she meets the emperor, then Zhang Xiaojing can be saved, hinting at the exchange she wants from Tanxi. Once again, showing that Yan Yuhuan is a lot more cunning than history books portray her. She knows right now that she needs to protect her position and is going to have someone else do it for her. As Karen mentioned earlier, when Tanqi informed Yan YuHuan that Zhang Xiaojing was her lover, Yan YuHuan was like, huh, this is interesting, but not enough. It's only when there's this quid pro quo of Tanqi giving something or doing something for Yan YuHuan does she accept the conditions to help Zhang Xiaojing." We join Yan YuHuan and Tanqi as they head over to the area where the emperor is now holding court. They sit next to or on the side of the emperor as he begins his questions of court matters. He first asks how the Patola-Sahi embassy is doing. General Guo explains that the ambassador was highly pleased with the embassy and is going to return to their king to ask that they resume paying tribute. This could mean creating more allies to the northwest border of the Great Tang Empire. The emperor only has one response— It was worth building this embassy. The Prince of Yong and the right chancellor take this opportunity to preen their feathers and tout all of the achievements they've made to make this possible, hoping to garner favor with the emperor. Except Director He chimes in whether or not the emperor actually knows how the land the embassy was used for was procured we now finally get a flashback into what caused Zhang Xiaojing to be in prison and why the Prince of Yong is so afraid of Zhang Xiaojing. The Prince of Yong and the right chancellor used the blaze gang and killed Wen Wuji, or Wen Ran's father, Zhang Xiaojing's friend, in order to force them to move from their home to use that land for the embassy. After seeing Wen Wuji die in front of him, Zhang Xiaojing goes on a massive rampage and murders 34 members of the blaze gang that were outside the property and had a hand in killing Wen Wuji. Not only them, he also murdered his supervisor in a rather bloody manner because his supervisor told him someone wanted to see Zhang Xiaojing and that he should live a new way. In his fury, Zhang Xiaojing storms over to the Prince of Yong's Residence, because he knows that the Prince of Yong is the one who runs the Blaze gang. The Prince of Yong is over there pleased to hear the progress of securing the land for the embassy before Zhang Xiaoting arrives. When he does, Zhang Xiaoting puts a knife to the Prince of Yong's neck and threatens him so that he, the Prince of Yong, never touches Wen Zhen ever and ensures that she is protected or at least safe at all times the Prince of Yong immediately agrees. Zhang Xiaojing then drags him by his feet to the Prince of Yong's mother's memorial tablet inside the room and forces the Prince of Yong to swear by her name. In this entire exchange, the Prince of Yong acts like a scared little puppy and is willing to agree to everything Zhang Xiaojing says in his frightened state. Now we know why the Prince of Yong is so scared of Zhang Xiaoting, but also has a pretty big hatred towards him. He was humiliated quite severely at the hands of Zhang Xiaoting. I do enjoy the scene where Zhang Xiaoting drags the Prince of Yong by his feet. And when they go through thresholds of a door, like Zhang Xiaoting actually just makes the, uh, the Prince of Yong's body just like flip up. I feel bad for the, uh, the actor who has to endure this, but that sounded or looked really painful as well. So we see in the flashback what happened, but what does the prince of Yong say to the emperor? That he reasoned with Zhang Xiaoxing to think about the people, to think about the Tang empire. He said that he had no fear in the face of Zhang Xiaoxing, blah, blah, blah. The story the prince of Yong says paints him in an entirely heroic manner rather than the scared little mouse he actually was. The situation due to the Prince of Yong's recounting, turns dire in front of the emperor as the Prince of Yong raises how Jing Ansi decided to use Zhang Xiaojing today to solve various crimes, despite the fact that Zhang Xiaojing is a convicted murderer on death row. The verbal battle escalates and it does not look good for the Crown Prince or Director He. They can talk about Ta and Du Shu all they want about how it selected Zhang Xiaojing, but this answer will not fly in front of the Emperor, and it looks like the Crown Prince might be punished At this point, Pensi wants to take this moment to run up in front of the Emperor to reveal the truth about today. I mean, my blood was boiling when hearing the Prince of Yong's recounting of the story because, you know, I was like, this is. Completely a retelling of your own version of events. Yang Yuhuan is surprised by this, and Tanxi actually tells her ways to avoid being connected with Tanxi after she goes forward. But once again, Yan Yuhuan surprises me. The emperor right then and there is furious after the crown prince highlights that the right chancellor has amassed the three seals in Tang court and questions the impartiality of Tang law. The emperor yells at the crown prince to shut up while slamming his hand down on his chair. The entire room kneels to the ground. It is in this highly tense moment that Yan Huan calls for the emperor's attention and steps forward. In front of all of court that is currently kneeling on the ground, she says that on this lantern festival day, she has an interesting story she'd like to tell him. Notice she uses the term si lang, which is a much softer way of addressing a man or is a way to address your lover, not the way to address the emperor. The emperor calms down immediately and actually tells everyone to leave and gives her the opportunity to whisper some stories into his ear. We don't know exactly what she says. Next thing we know, though, is that one of her maids is telling Tanxi that both the crown prince and the right chancellor have come to an accord. Zhang Xiaojing is safe for now, and he has been tasked with finding the culprit of Chue Le he Duo. So what's going on with Zhang Xiaojing? We left off with him, off on another murder's rampage in the face of Yuan Zai's attacks with remaining members of Lu Benjuan at Chaofin's residence. Poor Yi Si is badly injured, and in the book, it's stated that he most likely will never be able to parkour again, but hey, at least he's alive. The despicable Yuan Zai and Wang Yunxiu are forced outside to regroup, while Zhang Xiaojing also takes a breather inside. Chao Fin is a little hilarious, though, because he's like, you know what, I have never seen anything so beautiful and pure, while Zhang Xiaojing only grunts that there's nothing beautiful about death. However, those events do finally inspire Chaofen to help Zhang Xiaojing. He knows a way to get into the square where the palace is and helps Zhang Xiaojing map out a way to get in. He also agrees to find a doctor for Yisu. This, sadly, is where we will be leaving them. At least, both of them don't die, so that's a plus. Though Chaofen, for some reason, breaks Zhang Xiaojing's blade in a decisive snap and Zhang Xiaojing is like... WTF, why did you do that? I was also like, WTF, why would you do that? Regardless, everything that happened at court came at a perfect time because Zhang Xiaoqing would not have been able to exit the residence if not for the court order that Yuan Zai received, which stated from both the crown prince and the right chancellor to stop the chase of Zhang Xiaoqing. In the book, Yuan Zai was so scared by how brutal Zhang Xiaoxing behaved in killing many of his men that he actually wet his pants, so he was not super willing to let this humiliation go. But here, Yuan Zai has no choice. He recognizes that he doesn't want to play the hero right now, which could result in backlash on his part. So he decides to stand down. It is pretty funny because when Zhang Xiaojing opens the door and is about to have another go, is instead met with a deferential Yuanzai. Yuanzai calls Zhang Xiaojing as Zhang Gong or like Sir Zhang, which Zhang Xiaojing is like, what is going on? Yuanzai even offers this Zhang Gong, a horse, to be on his way. <laughs> well, Zhang Xiaojing leaves that whole group, and we actually have to take a look at how does Zhang Xiaojing actually get into the main plaza. He becomes a stowaway in Xu Hezi's parade float. He sneaks into her parade float and bluntly requests her aid. She is not scared one bit and instead agrees readily so that, as she says, he will remember her. Xu Hezi performs a new song that accompanies us as we see court reconvening in front of the emperor, Zhang Xiaojing slipping into a well that will take him to the Grand Lantern, and Longbo's crew... Working on their final touches of their massive bomb. Let's move now onto some history, and there are some actually really interesting tidbits in today's episode. Right at the beginning of the episode, the people of Chang'an are out in the square and praying for the prosperity of the empire. The young girl from the episode asks her father, "Who or what is Taishang Xuan Yuan Huangdi?" Her father responds and says, why, it is Laozi. The title is more specific to the Tang dynasty itself. Laozi's real name was Li Er and lived roughly between the late 6th century BC to the 5th century BC. Because his last name was Li, the same as the imperial name to the Tang dynasty, he was venerated by the imperial family and many claimed to be his descendants. Tang Emperor Tang Gaozong Li Zhi gifted Li Er or Lao Zi the name of Tai Shang Xuanyuan Huangdi in 666 AD. The English translation is Supremely Mysterious and Primordial Emperor. In 743, our current emperor added Tai Shengzu to the name or Sage Ancestor. In subsequent years, Emperor Tang Xuanzong, our current emperor, Kept adding to the name all the way to, so that it ended up being Da Sheng Zu, Gao Shang Da Dao, Jin Que Xuan Yuan, Tian Huang Da Di. Ooh, that was a mouthful. The translation is Great Sage Ancestor and Mysterious and Primordial Heavenly Emperor and Great Sovereign of the Golden Palace of the High and Supreme Great Way. <laughs> Let's just say that. Emperor Tang Xuanzong loved adding words to titles. The young girl responds with a quote from Tao De Jing. As we mentioned in previous episodes, this text had a huge influence on Chinese philosophy, including Confucianism, legalism, and Chinese Buddhism. The quote the girl recites comes from the seventh chapter of Tao De Jing. Tian Chang Di Jiu we found the full online translation, which goes as such Heaven and earth last forever. Why do heaven and earth last forever? They are unborn, so ever living. I might change the translation of the third phrase so that it goes something like this Heaven and earth last forever. Why do heaven and earth last forever? It is because their actions aren't for themselves, so they are ever-living. This really is to represent that everlasting nature of heaven and earth. We don't really get much else about this phrase for the rest of the episode, but again, we just learn a little bit more about the religion that was prevailing during that time, and very much it was Taoism. Next, let's finally talk about court and the genesis of Zhang Xiaoting's troubles. The emperor asks how the ambassador from Little Polola or Xiao Lui, was enjoying his embassy, to which the eunuch Guo Lishi responds that the ambassador was very pleased with the embassy and stated that when he returned back west, he will try to persuade the king Su Li to reinstate its tributary payment to the empire. This will be a big boon as the other 20 plus countries along the Silk Road will also follow suit instead of allying themselves with the Tibetan Empire. As the right chancellor and the prince of Yong were in charge of building the embassy, they received high praise from the emperor, which we discussed earlier in this podcast episode. The construction of the embassy was a spark that led to the death of Wen Zi and Zhang Xiaoting's murderous rampage and imprisonment. We haven't really talked about the small kingdom that needed this embassy, so let's do that now. Between the 6th and 8th centuries, the region of Gilgit in current-day Kashmir was ruled by the Buddhist Patola Shahi dynasty, or in Chinese, Boru. There were Chinese records of people in this land dating to the 4th century. So right now we know that there is that history of at least 400 years, three 400 years prior to where we are right now. In the early 7th century, the Tibetan Empire or Tufan Fan essentially split the two kingdoms to what we hear now in the drama to a little Palola and a greater Palola or little Palola and big Palola. 小玻璃 and Polu. The embassy built was for the Little Palola. In the mid-7th century, the region came under Tang suzerainty. Both kingdoms, faced with continuous threats from the West, from the Tibetan forces and encroaching Islamic caliphates, formed an alliance with the Tang dynasty. According to Chinese records, during the early years of Emperor Tang Xuanzong's reign, the king of Little Palola Mo Qingmang traveled to Chang'an to pay tribute. He and the emperor had a close relationship, and the emperor sent troops multiple times against threats from the Tibetan forces. Unfortunately, in 736, or around that time, Tibetan forces renewed their attack on Little Palola and conquered the kingdom, leading to over 20-plus kingdoms in the region also falling under Tibetan suzerainty. Sometime before 740, the king of Little Palola became Su Shili and married a Tibetan princess. The Tang dynasty between 736 to 747 sent troops three times to reclaim the kingdom, but to no avail. It wasn't until 747 did Gao Xianzhi along with his Mu Dao generals of Li Ye, who we did talk about, and Tianjin recapture the kingdom. The king, Su and his wife were captured by Tang troops and taken back to Tang The region of Little Palola was controlled by the Tang government until the outbreak of the An Lushan Rebellion in 755. We currently are in 744, where Little Palola is under Tibetan rule. Based on what I just described, I don't know how the king would have dared to pay tribute to the Tang if they were still under Tibetan rule without another military campaign but we will just roll with it lastly let's talk about that song that Xu Hezi sings at the end of the episode it is a lovely melody and once again inspired by two poems from Li Bai the song goes as such changxiangsi zai chang'an Wei, qiu ti jin we Xuang Titi Here's my translation. Longing day and night for my beloved in the city of Chang'an. In the lonely season of deep fall, there's the moving song of a seamstress near a well. There's light frost in the air. The bamboo mat is also cold. The dancing eyes from before have now become the fountain for tears. If you don't believe my pain from separation, come back and look at my fading beauty. The first three lines come from a poem called 长相思, which you could say, missing you forever. The drama over the summer is called 长相思, which is translated to lost you forever. There is one version where the perspective comes from a man missing his beloved wife. The last four lines are from another version of Chang Xiangzi that is from the perspective of a woman missing her beloved. Li Bai wrote three poems with the same name, each depicting longing in different ways. It is most likely that he wrote these poems around 730 AD. There's a couple of theories on why he wrote this trio. One is that these poems aren't about a particular person, but more about his time in Chang'an. The second, he had a rumored love interest who happened to be Princess Yujin. For the drama, I believe this really is to indicate what Chang'an represents to the characters of the drama, especially Zhang Xiaojing. I do not think it's a coincidence that we hear this song performed for the first time when we finally see the events leading to Zhang Xiaojing's rampage and eventual capture. He did everything for the city of Chang'an, despite all of his personal pain. And that closes out our discussion of episode 35 of The Longest Day in Chang'an. The music for this episode is Qing Yue, played by yours truly, with sheet music by Cui Jianghui. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. We will catch you all in the next podcast episode.